Hello, hello, this is Katavani. Welcome back and thank you for listening to Ramayana, episode 10, Sita Swayamvara. In the last episode, Rama and Lakshmana listened to the legends of their forefathers, starting with King Sagara and ending with King Bhagiratha. Bhagiratha's prayatna, his tremendous efforts to bring down Akash Ganga from Devalok, the world of Devas, to earth, succeeded due to his perseverance. The king then guided Ganga to the Patalake where his forefathers, King Sagara's sons, had been burnt to an ash heap. The travellers, the ascetics and Rama and Lakshmana, led by sage Vishwamitra, spent the night on the banks of river Ganga, listening and reflecting on these remarkable stories of gods, men, mountains and rivers. The next morning, they all rose at dawn and crossed the river by boat to the northern bank. On the northern bank of river Ganga, they saw the splendid city of Vishala. Vishwamitra told the two princes that the city was founded by King Vishala, who descended from the Ishwaku clan, like the princes of Ayodhya. The sage informed the brothers that King Sumati followed a long line of illustrious kings after King Vishala, after whom the king and the kingdom and the city was named. By this time, King Sumati had heard the news that sage Vishwamitra had entered the city with a group of ascetics and accompanied by two handsome youths who resembled the twin gods Ashwini Kumaras of Devalok. King Sumati, accompanied by his ministers, gurus and kinsmen, welcomed the sage. He declared himself most fortunate that the sage chose to visit his country, a harbinger of great fortune. King Sumati inquired about the ascetic's well-being, comfort and needs. He then wondered about the identity of the youths that resembled gods who walked majestically like the kings of jungles and who were armed with bows, arrows and swords of excellent quality. He asked about the lineage of these young men who carried themselves with the confidence of skilled warriors but who walked great distances on foot with the ascetics. Vishwamitra responded, as was the custom in those days, confirming his well-being and his good wishes for the general health and wealth of the kingdom, the king and his bandhus, friends and kinsmen. The sage inquired about the king and the citizens' adherence to dharma, the quality of the crops, frequency of rains, defeat of the enemies, and hope that the king's treasury was overflowing with wealth from tax, tithe, and tributes. The sage then praised the king to the young princess, reciting the entire illustrious lineage of King Sumati, starting with the founder King Vishala. Vishwamitra then told King Sumati the two young men were sons of King Dasaratha of Kosala kingdom and had travelled with him as ascetics too, on foot, sleeping under the stars. The king was delighted to see the sons of King Dasaratha and expressed his curiosity about their current journey and the purpose of their visit. Vishwamitra recounted details of their journey since they left Ayodhya. He narrated in detail his ordeals in Siddhashram, performing yajna rituals and how Rama and Lakshmana not only protected their yajna but also destroyed the evil Rakshasas who were intolerable to ascetics and local inhabitants of nearby towns. Vishwamitra was pleased to inform King Sumati not only about the valor and courage of these two princes, he also told the king about their strict adherence to dharma, satya, and rama's self-control and kindness towards all. He expressed their pleasure to visit the splendid city of Vishala, thriving on the banks of Ganga, 
model like Indra's Amaravati. The sage concluded with their intention to travel to Mithila to witness the holy yajna rituals organized by the Rajarishi King Janaka and see the mighty Shiva bow inherited by King Janaka. King Sumati of Vishala was delighted to extend the Tithi Puja, traditional hospitality, to the sons of King Dasharatha, guests worthy of immense honor. He entreated them to stay with him in the palace. The travelers agreed to stay the night before proceeding to Mithila the next day. That evening, Vishwamitra entertained the travelers with the Stala Purana, historical stories about this region. He started with the fantastical origin stories of Devas, the sons of Aditi and Daityas, the sons of her sister Diti, with the sage Kashyapa Maharishi. He narrated the battles of the Devas and Asuras against each other. He described how the Devas and Asuras churned the cosmic milky ocean using Mantara, the mountain as the churning rod, Vasuki, the serpent as the churning rope, and Lord Vishnu as Kurma Avatar, an incarnation as tortoise, supporting the mountain Mantara in the depths of the ocean. As a result of years of constant churning, the sage continued, the venom from Vasuki's many hoots poisoned the air. Lord Shiva yielded to the Deva's wishes and drank the poison to clear the air. The Devas and the Daityas continued churning with the intention of discovering Amrit, the nectar of immortality and good health. Vishwamitra enumerated to his listeners all the items that appeared out of this legendary milky ocean. Baruni, the goddess of wine, appeared and the Daityas declined her and the Devas accepted her in Devalok, the world of Devas. Sura refers to the alcoholic drink and the lore is that without it, the Daityas came to be known as Ashuras, that is, without Sura. The churning continued until eventually a divine being appeared carrying the Amrit, the nectar of immortality, and the Devas and Daityas started fighting each other over it. Lord Vishnu appeared in the guise of a seductive, beautiful woman, Mohini. The lustful Daityas let themselves be seduced by her willingly, giving her possession of the nectar so they could drink it out of her hands. Mohini served the nectar to the Devas and vanished with the nectar when it was the Daityas' turn to be served. The powerful Daityas realized their folly too late and were destroyed by the Devas who believed they were invincible after drinking the nectar of immortality. Diti, the mother of Daityas, decided to avenge the deaths of the Daitya. She asked her husband Kashyapa for a son who would destroy Indra. Kashyapa blessed her under the condition that she unfailingly adhere to severe austerities for 1,000 years to give birth to a son, good and powerful, like Indra. Diti enthusiastically and with discipline practiced spiritual and physical austerities recommended by Kashyapa Maharishi. Indra served Diti, his aunt, with respect and devotion while she was pregnant. But when he realized her intentions to replace him with her son as the leader of the Devas, he thwarted her pregnancy. He cut the unborn fetus into seven pieces with his Vajrayudha thunderbolt. While Diti slept, so that her son would not be more powerful than him. Indra then sought Diti's forgiveness. Diti 
ask that her child still be viable and be born. Indra bowed to her and promised that the seven pieces would be born as seven celestial beings just like she wished, with access to all parts of the universe and would be his constant companions. Vishwamitra concluded this story from the Purana saying that this country, the kingdom of Vishala, was the site of Diti's penance with Indra serving her here for close to 1000 years during her austerities before Indra thwarted Diti's intentions to birth a powerful son and then facilitated the birth of the Maruts, her children. These legends from Itihasas and Puranas, ancient epics, recount violent battles between forces of good and evil, battles between devas and asuras who commit ruthless acts against each other and the oppressed to seize or keep power. Suffering, rivalry and strife are constant effects, even for gods, especially where there is desire and attachment to power, riches or immortality. Meanwhile, the saints, enlightened sages, ordinary people with extraordinary discipline and control of their senses, continue to embrace the message of dispassion, renunciation and service as the path to peace, happiness and eternal bliss. The next morning at dawn, the group of travellers followed Vishwamitra and left on foot to Mithila. Before we leave the Vishala kingdom on our way to Mithila, a quick note. Vishala, this ancient city, also known as Vaishali, was an important capital city of a republic, a confederation of states on the banks of Ganga, a jewel in the fertile Gangetic plains. This was the capital of one of the earliest republic states with elected representatives more than 2,500 years ago. Its history stretched from ancient times three to five millennia ago through pre-Vedic and Vedic times as well as around the 6th century BC when Buddhism and Jainism were beginning to grow in India. Buddha spent time preaching in Vaishali after his enlightenment. Mahavira, the founder of Jainism, was born to the king of a federation state in Vaishali district. Buddha's last sermons were delivered here and his disciples were welcomed and cherished by its influential citizens who gave alms, donated gardens and houses in their service. Basar, in today's Bihar state, is considered to be the ancient city of Vishal or Vaishali and contains ruins, relics, stupas and archaeological conservation areas. Returning to our travellers, the ascetics led by Vishwamitra and the two princes, Rama and Lakshmana, reached the outskirts of Mithila, excited by the view of the city from a distance. The prince, always observant, noticed an ancient ashram that looked abandoned. He asked Vishwamitra, who knew all the Stalapuranas or history of the places, why the ashram was desolate. Vishwamitra told Rama that this was an ancient ashram of sage Gautama, a great rishi and seer revered by the wise and his beautiful wife Ahalya. They had many illustrial sons, daughters, and the ashram was home to disciples who were revered and considered to be great gurus of the ancient times. Indra, the king of devas, coveted the beautiful and brilliant Ahalya. One day, he approached her with wild intentions when sage Gautama had left to complete his morning routine and bathed by the riverside. 
Indra deceitfully disguised himself as sage Gautama and asked Ahalya to engage in acts of marital intimacy even though it wasn't the right time of the day or month. Ahalya immediately knew this wasn't her husband and realized this was Indra, the leader of the Devas. Flattered by Indra's attraction and his attention, she ignored his deception and engaged in sexual intimacy with Indra, who was in the guise of Gautama Maharishi. Ahalya then addressed Indra, Devendra, Hurry up since my husband is returning and protect me from his wrath. Indra, pleased that she knew his identity, hurriedly left the hermitage, the hut and the ashram and ran into Sage Gautama. Sage Gautama, resplendent with spiritual enlightenment, brilliant in the morning light, walked into the ashram ready with the tarpe grass for his morning homework. On seeing Indra disguised as him, he immediately became aware of what had transpired. He cursed Indra, the god of devas, to lose his genitals since he acted like a fool engaged in duplicity due to the passions that aroused there. He took leave of Ahalya, whose vanity and passion, the Maharishi said, clouded her judgment, implored by a remorseful Ahalya, who wanted to make amends and atone for her momentary indiscretion, Sage Gautama stated that she'd have to live in the ashram, desolate, invisible to the world, subsisting on air, sleeping on ash, doing no action until Rama visited the ashram. He asked her to worship Rama and seek his blessings to find respite from the curse. Sage Gautama then abandoned his wife and the ashram, to engage in deep meditation in the higher reaches of Himavat mountains. Vishwamitra, the great sage and friend of the oppressed, narrated the story and entreated Rama to accept the unfortunate Ahalya's hospitality and liberate her from her immense suffering. As Rama walked into the desolate ashram behind Vishwamitra, he saw Ahalya, brilliant due to the powers of her spirituality and ascetism seemingly behind a mist in the shadows. Balmiki compares her brilliance to that of a moon or sun behind the clouds. Rama and Lakshmana bowed low and touched her feet, seeking her blessings. At Rama's touch, Ahalya remembered her husband's instructions to worship Rama. She washed Rama's feet and worshipped him with devotion, without desires. Rama, with kindness and grace, accepted her hospitality. The cloud around her lifted. At this time, the great seer, Sage Gautama, entered the ashram, and together the holy ascetic couple, Gautama Maharshi and Ahalya, worshipped Rama with their hearts filled with devotion. In due time, the travelers bid farewell to the ashram, and Vishwamitra led Rama and Lakshmana to the sacrificial grounds in Mithila that was filled with thousands of ascetics and visitors who had gathered to witness the holy yajna rituals. Sage Vishwamitra picked a visitor's camp far from the crowds and near a water source. King Janaka, hearing of their arrival, rushed to receive them with respect. He was accompanied by his chief priest, Satananda, who was the eldest son of Sage Gautama and Ahalya. King Janaka inquired about the well-being of the eminent sage Vishwamitra and invited him to stay for the duration of the yajna rituals to see the devas accepting the offerings at the end of 12 days. 
King Janaka, feeling fortunate about the sage's visit on this auspicious occasion, wondered about the two princes that were by the sage's side, wondering aloud if they were the twin gods Ashwini Kumaras from Devalok. The king, a Rajarishi, was delighted to find out that they were handsome sons of King Dasharatha, his old friend. He was pleased to hear from Vishwamitra the details of their valour, courageous efforts protecting the sacrificial grounds in Siddhashram, destroying the Rakshasas, their accuracy with shooting arrows at foes, and their proficiency with astras and divyastras. King Janaka was overjoyed to know Sage Gautama and Ahalya Devi were together again and had received Rama and Lakshmana together. Satananda, the eldest of Gautama Maharishi, who was an eminent scholar and the chief priest of King Janaka, inquired about his parents' reunion and well-being. He was delighted to hear that they welcomed Rama with wholehearted devotion and hospitality. That evening, before everyone retired to their shelters and bed, Satananda proceeded to narrate the history of sage Vishwamitra from his days as King Kaushika, his meeting with Vasishta, and details of how sage how King Kaushika had become Brahmarishi Vishwamitra. King Janaka, Rama and Lakshmana and the others gathered around to listen to this remarkable story of their protector, Sage Vishwamitra. The next day, King Janaka presented himself at Sage Vishwamitra's feet, feeling fortunate for the opportunity to act on Brahmarishi's commands. Sage Vishwamitra blessed the Rajarishi and conveyed the prince's interest in seeing the Shiva boat. King Janaka ordered for the boat to be brought to the sacrificial area for Rama and Lakshmana to see. King Janaka narrated how this bow, Pinaka, also known as Shivadanush, had been made for Lord Shiva by Vishwakarma, the ancient and divine architect of the universe. Lord Shiva had been at the verge of using this bow to destroy the Devas and Daksha, his father-in-law, when he was overcome by grief and rage over the death of his wife, Sati. Lord Shiva eventually calmed, implored by the Devas, gods, and Lord Vishnu to not destroy the three worlds. Shiva gave up the bow to the Devas, who entrusted it for safekeeping with Janaka's ancestor, Devarata. Janaka informed the gathering in the sacrificial grounds that this bow was worshipped like a deity by his forefathers and that he continued the tradition worshipping it with sandal, incense and flowers. Janaka shared the incident of how he'd been blessed with his daughter Sita, who he found as a baby on the ground when he was ploughing the land to prepare it for a yajna ritual. Rajarishi Janaka believed that Sita blessed with divinity, deserved a worthy husband, renowned for valor and strength. Hence, he'd announced the condition for eligibility as her suitor to be the ability to string the bow. By proving their worthiness and strength with this divine bow, the suitors could secure Sita's hand in marriage. In Hindu wedding ceremonies from ancient times to now, the bride's hand is placed in the hand of the groom during the rituals. Hence the phrase, hand in marriage. King Janaka expressed his disappointment that many kings and warriors had attempted to lift the massive Shivabo unsuccessfully. Some could barely touch, grasp or budge the divine bow, proving their unworthiness to wield the Shivadhanush and their unworthiness to secure Sita as a peer. 
the disappointed suitors were angered by what they perceived as a setup and had laid siege to Mithila. King Janaka now graciously announced to the present gathering, presided by Sage Vishwamitra, that his army, cavalry, and elephant units were victorious against the siege only because of the sacrificial rituals that pleased the gods, and the gods willed and blessed the victory of his kingdom. As Janaka talked, a huge eight-wheel iron cart drawn by numerous soldiers stopped in front of the king, Rama, and Lakshmana. King Janaka addressed sage Vishwamitra, asking him to do the honors to show the sacred bow to Rama and Lakshmana. The great sage asked Rama to open the iron chest holding the mighty bow. Rama opened the iron crate, bowed low, hands folded in prayer, and turned and addressed King Janaka and sage Vishwamitra, asking for their permission to string and wield the bow. Tathastu. So be it, bless the elders, wishing him success. Rama respectfully picked up the bow easily like it was a garland of flowers. Where others could barely touch, budge or move the mighty bow, Rama picked the bow up with ease and placed it in position holding one end between his toes, his left hand in the middle of the massive bow. He then proceeded to bend and string it and in a fluid motion pull the ancient string to his ear with his right hand. In that action, the ancient bow broke right in the middle with a resounding bang in the presence of thousands of people. King Janaka was ecstatic that his vow had finally come true that Sita, his beloved daughter, more valuable to him than his life, had found a partner in this powerful and handsome son of King Dasharatha. The king addressed sage Vishwamitra, Maharishi, If you and my ministers consent, I will send messengers to Ayodhya to King Dasharatha to ask for his permission to give our daughter Sita in marriage to their son Rama. Vishwamitra, pleased by the turn of events, ever confident of Rama's abilities, delighted by the prospect of this union of the young couple, agreed with Janaka. King Janaka consulted with his ministers and gurus, composed the message and sent the best of his counsellors and speediest messengers to Dasharatha to inform the king about the two princes' well-being in Mithila under sage Vishwamitra's protection and the new marriage proposal for Rama with his daughter Sita. These swift messengers reached Ayodhya after travelling for three days. They waited an audience with the king to disclose the message of the wedding proposal and invite Dasharatha, his family, friends, ministers and advisors to Mithila to expedite the happy and auspicious occasion of Sita's wedding with Rama. In Valmiki's Ramayana, Sita is not an active participant of the Swayamvara. Swayamvara is the traditional ceremony typically among Indian royalty where the bride picks her life partner, the groom, by herself from a group of eligible suitors invited for the occasion. The bride, a flower garland in hand, rewards the suitor of her choice with the garland. In other versions of Ramayana, Sita, garland in hand, catches Rama's eyes and attention in a gathering of potential suitors. Many kings and warriors fail to lift the massive bow. Rama, in these later versions, seeks Sita's approval by looking at her before attempting to lift the bow. With Sita's approval and the elder's permission, Rama lifts the divine bow and breaks the massive bow while after stringing it. 
Sita, recovering from the tremendous sound pleased by Rama's success and her own feelings, rewards him with the garland, confirming her selection of the bridegroom. In all the versions of Ramayana, the thousands gathered unanimously erupt in approval and applause. This is a good place to pause. Leaving the young people happy in their union and each other's company, King Janaka, feeling blessed in the presence of sage Vishwamitra, not only at his yagna, but also at the swayamvara of his beautiful and beloved Sita, Vishwamitra, the great seer, satisfied by the turn of events since the start of their journey together, leading up to Rama, proving his worthiness to marry Sita Devi, daughter of Rajarishi Janaka. In the next episode, the messengers at the gates of Ayodhya bring great news about Rama to King Dasharatha, and Rama and Lakshmana embark on their return journey back home to Ayodhya. Ram Ram.